filibuster is supported through Patreon by listeners like you. Check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster. We also get support from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions for the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia. They handle workplace discrimination, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, and a whole lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. went to the game against San Jose on Saturday, uh, the whole family, uh, my wife, me, uh, our five-year-old, our almost two-year-old, and dogs? no, no dogs. And oh, that's they not don't, the whole they, family. Are you dogist? Yeah, all right. you're, you're, ben makes a good point. The whole human side of the family okay. went. Uh, the dogs stayed at home. They don't like soccer as much uh, or, or people or loud noises or you know that kind of thing uh or people we went the the one-year-old was not he it was late it was an eight o'clock kickoff and he hadn't slept well so we had to leave around halftime uh so our five-year-old who regular listeners will know is talon's number one freaking fan in the world loves talon we call Audi field talon's house rfk is talon's old house like she loves talon she went, she decided she was going to wear her Talon shirt because she has a Talon shirt, picture of Talon, Talon's name on it, um, the whole thing. Take her little stuffed Talon and she was going to, Talon was going to be so happy to see her and she's going to make Talon feel so happy because he gets to see the little Talon and see Talon on her shirt and know that how much she loves him. But we had to leave at halftime and we did not get to see Talon. She was very sad. No. But we took a picture. When we got back to the car in the parking garage um, up on M Street, we we took a picture of her with her shirt and her little Talon. And uh, we said, we will send this on Twitter to Talon. And we'll see if Talon sees it. Um, He'll definitely see it. So he'll know how much you love him. And we sent it on Twitter. We had to bail at halftime. But Talon's number one fan was, was decked out and looking forward to seeing him next time. And... God bless the, the the social media people at, at DC United. Talon responded back saying, you're making me blush. I can't wait to see you at Audi Field next time you come and we'll definitely take a selfie. So that's, um, that's pretty adorable. My kid, I told my, I, I told our five-year-old after her ballet class on Sunday. And when I read Talon's response, we were just on 11th street on Capitol Hill. She literally screamed and ran because she was just couldn't <laughs> contain herself. It made her so happy that Talon responded. She started telling the whole story to a friend of hers who was across the street, across Pennsylvania Avenue, basically. And she just is yelling this story. And her her little five-year-old friend's mom is just like, okay. <laughs> she had no idea what Talon was or why Talon responding or or any of that. Just totally confused. But my five-year-old was beside herself happy on Sunday because of a tweet. So may, Twitter I, I can be good. In the end, engagement, I guess, can be okay sometimes. The only time Twitter was good. <laughs> the hell site was okay for a few minutes on <laughs> right. Sunday. And Talon is the reason why. Hey, hey, welcome. And this is Filibuster, the Black and Red United. And my kid is freaking cute podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. I have two cute kids, as it were. Ben Bromley in Richmond, Virginia, has a cute kid of his own. 
Jason Anderson out there in, I don't know, some part of Maryland is himself a cute kid. Also the oldest one of us on this podcast. I don't know why I'm calling him a kid. Anyway, we're all from blackandredunited.com. We write about DC United, soccer in general. And uh, tonight we are talking about DC United. We have a couple of games to break down and then no game coming up. So we're going to uh, go into kind of a, I guess, half-assed mid-season review slash Twitter box question and answer. Don't know. We'll see what happens when we get there. Before we do anything, though, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I realized a couple of days ago that um, something I really like uh, was available again. Uh, Trader Joe's makes this jalapeno limeade um, that disappeared from shelves once the weather turned cold. And I could never get a straight answer out of anyone for the longest time about, is it coming back? Does it exist anymore? Did it just go away? Um, And finally, sometime in the winter, um, someone at the um, customer service desk looked it up for me and said, no, this will come back towards the end of May. And so the end of May came and I realized, oh, yeah, it's back. So. I went and got a, a couple bottles, and it's really good if you mix that with mezcal, and that's what I'm drinking. Nice. I may have to pick some of that up at Trader Joe's. Wait, at, at first, I thought you were going to say something you love that disappeared from shelves, and I thought you were going to go with Dead Rise um, from Flying Dog Brewery, their their <laughs> old Bay Ale that is wonderful, and I love it, and it needs to come back. Mm-hmm. I need to be able to find it again because it's great. That's not what I'm drinking, of course. Uh, I made it to the brewery that's around the corner from my house here in D.C. Uh, Red Bear Brewing is is what it's called. And it's it's over in Noma. And they have a Rosemary Saison that I grabbed a growler of when I was over there last week. And uh, finishing off the growler tonight. And it's, uh, it's, it's a really very good beer. It's something you only want one of when you're drinking it, though. Um, Saisons are a little bit sweet a little bit heavy and the rosemary they're great you're wrong it more so they are great i love them but this particular one is a little like a pint is the right amount any more than that and it's it's it gets a little bit too much but one pint of it and then switch to something else and it's great so yay drinking local ben what are you drinking it's mark time I'm drinking a uh, margarita with a glug of uh, LaCroix in it. What what type of glug would you say it is? Uh, what flavor glug? Oh, what flavor glug? That's different than the type of glug. The type of glug is probably uh, half a cup-ish. A volume, okay. uh, and then the flavor of Glug is it is the Tangerine Lacroix, which okay. was the one uh, our Aldi only had Tangerine and Raspberry Cranberry, which makes me think those are the ones that they maybe overproduced and then were trying to get rid of through places like Aldi. But Tangerine one's not bad. A uh, pro tip: if you are drinking Lacroix and you would like something that tastes like orange, do not get orange Lacroix; get the Tangerine instead. Okay, good to know. The orange liquorie is garbage. Also, uh, speaking of uh, bubble water, I'm really into bubbly right now. Like, the peach bubbly is really good. So, drink it. Uh, 
Lots oh, of seltzer, seltzer they're, they're, content. They're, cor- they're all corporate right. overlords, so screw them all. But we uh, got some hot seltzer buzz marketing happening right now, <laughs> yeah. and I just don't know what to do with myself. Apparently, the peoples like Polar a lot, and I have not tried that one. But Polar's good. Okay, there we go. I, I've not gotten into seltzer brands. I like plain club they're very soda different. to put into different things. Oh, I don't, oh look at I don't this love hipster. flavored. I pour it into I Look make at this a Ricky out of it. I I don't know. At at work we have a pretty well stocked pantry and one of the things they always have is like a a carafe full of water with some kind of fruit or something inside. So we'll get like cucumber water or lime or multi citrus water. Sometimes a lot of the time, actually, it's pineapple water, which is not the best. But I I generally kind of make my own LaCroix where I go get a cup and fill it half with that and half with club soda from the the soda fountain. And it's good. It's nice. There's no sugar or extra sugar. It's just whatever, you know, know, comes into the water. Adam, did you know that the people who make LaCroix are also the people who make the Juggalo's favorite drink? You mean Fago? Whoop, whoop. We should probably talk about soccer before this goes any more Ohio. And yes, jugglos are incredibly Ohio, Ben. I mean, yeah, I, I can't deny that. <laughs> DC United has played twice since we last recorded the good news over those two games. DC United scored four goals. Hooray. The bad news. They also allowed four goals. We're forced to settle for a pair of draws at home on buzzard point first a three to three draw with Chicago midweek second, a one-to-one draw with San Jose. They came from behind in both games, which is obviously not ideal. Both games were also very weird in, in very different ways. Um, and I think we're just going to kind of bounce around between the two games to, to kind of figure things out right now. I guess I'll, I'll start off just talking about, setting up the Chicago game. Uh, United fell behind by two, in fact, pretty quickly in the first half, giving up a set piece um, to famed United killer CJ Sapong, who's on his third or fourth MLS team where he just kicks DC United because, I don't know, he's mad that we didn't have a proper academy when he was living in the area. I don't know. Um, Man, I wish he wouldn't do that. Anyway, he scored uh, on on a pretty well-worked set piece by Chicago. And then, uh, who was it? Georgi Mihalovic that scored a deflected goal uh, shortly thereafter to put them up to DC United. Came back, uh, pulled one back at the end of the first half. Seemed to pull back a second, but uh, TT Rodriguez was adjudged by VAR to have handled the ball, knocked it out of the referee's or the, the goalkeeper's hand with his elbow, and then put it away so that didn't count dc united nevertheless scored two in the second half to go up before giving up a late weird equalizer that pro said shouldn't have counted so everything is weird in this game every single thing is weird in this game jason yeah um it it seemed like dc was a little i mean it's not like the goals came out of nowhere uh chicago is having the better of it in the, the few minutes before that um but yeah, there was a lot of just seeming a little off, a little maybe thrown off by um, Chicago's approach to the game, which wasn't anything abnormal for them. Um, ben Olsen, after the game, said that because of um, 
uh, Panovich's tinkering, which we talked about on the last time we did a show. Um, you know, it is hard to game plan for Chicago or harder than most teams because most teams tend to play more or less the same way. And Chicago will make broader changes to the way they want to play a game. You know, they've been cycling their formations around. Sometimes they high press, sometimes they don't. Um, the reasons for why they're going to do something are never necessarily all that clear. Um, and falling behind to them was, was pretty bad news. Um, at the, when the second one went in, I had mentally written this game off as a loss. Um, yeah. DC looked flat. Uh, it took them a while. It wasn't like they responded immediately after the goal either. Um, it took a while for them to get going in this game. Um, but then they get the one from Segura. They get the second uh, that gets called back. Um, and to their credit, they brought that last little burst, that last five to ten minutes of the first half. They carried it over into the second half. They didn't just get into the locker room and then lose their way again. Um, so, you know, that part of it I, I feel pretty good about. Um, the fact that they came back, they took the lead, um, you know, if not for – I'm not as sure as PRO about that goal not being uh, being so obviously not a goal. I think that there are uh, screen caps slowing around out there that make it look like it's definitely within the sphere of not clear and obvious. Um, and at that point, I start to think maybe it's more defense, a defensive uh, failure rather than a refereeing failure um, because Francisco Calvo is wide open in the box on a, a ball that goes right to him. So, right. I uh, think it, I mean, and Jalen Robinson kept him on side on that play. If, if Robinson steps up the way Burnbaum and Briant had, or yeah. Um, then, then Calvo's clearly offside, but Robinson stayed where he was, right. which, which allowed him to stay on. It's just a, that failure of communication at the back late in a game. Yeah, and I feel a little for Robinson because he was he had to come in and play left back in this game, right? Um, which is a curious development because Marquinhos Pedroso was available off the bench. Um, not really a good sign for him. Um, that uh, maybe he's in the doghouse after those two back post uh, goals were given up. Um, but I, I wouldn't have expected it to be that much uh, of a doghouse situation. Right. Um, Speaking of not, not to foreshadow too much, but yeah, Jalen Robinson coming in for a guy who allowed goals at the back post foreshadowing a little bit, tiny bit. But uh, yeah, it was definitely a strange game. Um, Chicago. I think a lot of people sort of have misread. I've seen a lot of comments about this one where there's sort of a misread of um, the way the game played out after two, nothing, um, DC began taking gigantic risks to try and get themselves back in the game. So on the other side of the ball, all Chicago had to do was make one outlet pass and Alexander Katai is one-on-one. Um, and so Chicago did that because, you know, they're not a team of idiots. They, they saw that, Hey, this guy that keeps skinning, uh, whoever he's up against, uh, is going to get plenty of room because DC is throwing so many numbers forward. And that is exactly how things kept happening. Um, and so for the rest of the night, it became, you know, well, if they can get away with Katai um, getting all these looks and get out of it without giving up a goal, then they might actually complete a comeback. Um, they did that. They got a little lucky a few of those times, but um, this is a great example of how game states can influence a game. 
because when you go down two nothing at home early, you are going to take crazy risks to try and get back into the game. You're, you know, United likes to send the fullbacks up normally. Well, at two nothing uh, down at home, that becomes much more extreme, and so uh, you end up with Hara having a very good game attack wise. Uh, while struggling pretty badly uh, defensively because he's constantly having to scramble back rather than being in a normal defensive position. So, um, yeah, the, the early goals made this one weird. Um, yeah, there, there was a lot of strangeness in this one. Chicago won the duels uh, category by almost 20, which uh, is oh, way wow. beyond anything that's happened. I think it was by 19, um, 58 to 39. Um that doesn't happen to this DC team this year. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a strange one that, I, you know, I'm glad that they found the sharpness because I, I will say the, I'm, I know my answer is kind of going on and on, but the last, during the comeback period of this game, we actually saw the front four start to play like DC United's front four. It looked pretty good for a while there. It's just also in this game where they gave up points at home and were down to nothing. And, uh, probably should have lost the game, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I keep saying the word weird over and over and that's just what this week has, has been. Um, and then San Jose, of course, was also a very weird kind of game. Um, classic tale of two halves sort of thing where United comes out. They actually look pretty good for the first seven or eight minutes of the game. Um, could have gotten on the scoreboard. Same against Chicago before they went down. Um, another thing that's weird in that Chicago game is that Ulysses Segura had a brace, which was good enough to get him onto the bench for the league-wide team of the week. He could have had a hat trick in this one, um, which is not something I think we've ever said about Ulysses Segura before. But against San Jose, of course, DC United goes down um, on a Chris Wondolowski goal at the back post. He ghosted Jalen Robinson because, I don't know, He's a wizard and he casts forgetfulness spells on defenders. I have no idea how he does it, but he's the all-time leading scorer for a reason. Um, 151 goals in MLS, more than anyone else. And uh, yeah, he added to his total and he's just been on this crazy hot streak. And then DC United comes out in the second half and dominates just as much as San Jose dominated. So both the Chicago game and the the San Jose game left both teams feeling like they should have done better, which is kind of often how draws work, but neither team felt, I think in either game, all that satisfied with the draw, which, you know, I, I don't know what that says, but that's, that I think is pretty clearly the case. Um, ben, what, what struck you about the, the San Jose game? What was weird to you about the San Jose game? Uh, I'm not going to use the term weird. I, 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 I'm not, damn it, Ben. I'm, I'm not fond of it. I'm, I'm not fond of it. Um, is it like moist for you? Is it a word that just like makes you uncomfortable? No, it's not. Uh, moist doesn't even make me uncomfortable, but we don't have to go down that rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> I apologize to anyone in the audience who cringes at the word moist. I thought the first halves were worse than weird, and I am disappointed that they were so bad, not so bad, but they were they underperformed somewhat significantly in both first halves and then had to dig themselves out of those holes in the 
uh, either later later parts of the first half into the second half or just the full second half uh, in the case of the San Jose game. So there are weird things happening with this team just based on uh, first half versus second half, uh, game states of being uh, even versus down goals versus up goals, and it's good that they're coming up on a break now because it gives them time to hopefully figure this stuff out. Because as we've seen in the, as we saw in the second half of both of these games, it's not a talent thing. They have the talent to beat Chicago. They have the talent to beat San Jose, but something isn't clicking in the first half of these two games, at least. And they're not putting together a full enough game to beat these two teams that are eminently beatable. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely would agree with that, that there's, um, there's been something off, um, something was off in both games to start. Um, I think against Chicago, I, I don't know if it was, it was outright that bad until after they gave the second goal, it seemed like they were, they had like an emotional reaction of being stunned rather than, um, cause they, they didn't dig in right away. It, that took a while, um, against San Jose despite knowing what they were preparing for, it seemed like they weren't well prepared for what they were up against. Um, I think the switch to a back three made sense. I mentioned it in our preview that as a theoretical thing, I didn't attend training. I don't have any, um, I didn't have any inside information on that. It just was a guess of mine that um, when you look at how San Jose lines up, uh, as a defensive shape, and you know that they want to do man marking all over the field, switching to the back three made some sense. It would it would throw off the the geometry of San Jose's plans. It looked like though that that switch ended up hurting DC a lot more. The San Jose didn't seem thrown by it at all. They're like, oh, whatever. Um, we'll we'll still do what we're doing. Right. Um, it seemed like it took them maybe ten minutes to adjust, and then yeah. They were uh, but they, they figured it out pretty quickly and they were pretty comfortable. Um, and where, whereas DC could not figure out how to get anything going attack wise. Um, and, and part of what San Jose does with that man marking is uh, it's not really a high pressure scheme in the way that we think of high press. We normally think, okay, the other team is going to send all their guys further forward and they're going to try and, and press you into long balls. Um, they want the long balls as your your end result, but what they're doing is they take away all your options. So you end up with a defender having to try and force a pass that normally a defender wouldn't be trying to force. Um, and usually that means a longer pass on the ground rather than a ball you know, high up to a target man. Um, and San Jose did a great job of it. Um, you know, after the game... Uh, Olsen said that he was, um, they had game planned for different guys to be in the lineup for San Jose, which I think is a reference to Magnus Eriksson being out because he was questionable uh, all week. He's been a starter for them. Um, but other than that, uh, there weren't really, there weren't really major surprises in the lineup other than the fate of whether Eriksson was going to play or not. Um, so yeah, it looked to me like this one was more of, you know, the game plan itself uh, in a couple different ways was off. Something was not right. Um, they switched um, to 
the four two three one before actually before right before the Wando goal is when they really started to do that. Um, and it's kind of funny, like they were getting stomped before that. Um, they made the switch and then they give up a goal, but it's not really um, that wasn't really a formation goal. It was just if you go back and watch the play, it's, you know, no one gets pressure on Lima and uh, Wando basically runs an entire circle around Robinson, um, which you mm. don't want to you don't want to do. <laughs> you don't want to do when you're marking a guy. Um, is to let him evade you to that extent that he can actually run in a circle around you. And I mean, especially like Wando's a great player, obviously a league class player of all time, but he's never been a fast player. No, no, he he just knows how to, how to make you forget he's there. Yeah. Most important moment. It's remarkable. Yeah. And it's weird how when you look at it in isolation, how simple it can look because he's sort of in Robinson's line of sight and he just sort of drops out of it. It's like something a kid would do. Like if a kid wants to get away with something, they just move just barely beyond your line of sight and then they do whatever it is they're going to do. And But, you know, already like, well, I know what that's about. That's my kid is trying to get up to no good and get away with it by not being seen by me. Um but it really is that simple. He just sort of walks out of Robinson's uh, view and then runs back in front of him at the last second to get to the ball. Um, Jason, so some- I, I can't tell you how shook I am right now. Because <laughs> so I'm just going to jump my- in. I'm going to I'm going to run over Adam here because uh, he already told a cute kid story. Um <laughs> I got my kid home, Lily home today. We were uh, hanging out in the living room and I was like bustling around and I come back into the living room and the box of Cheez-Its that I had thought was out of reach was somehow in a kid's lap. And there were just Cheez-Its on the floor, in her mouth and everywhere. Just like you sneaky son of a gun. You, you got wandered. I did. Yeah, I, I did get wandered. That's what I'm going to call it now. When, especially when my almost two year old does something like that, he just has a permanent smile on his face that tells me his hand is in the cookie jar, even when I can see both of his hands. In and the he, jar. he, yeah, in the cheese it jar, he has this ability to just like make you forget he's there. He just behaves for long enough and then just kind of ghosts out of your line of sight when you're not totally switched on and then does something. Um, Often it's spilling the dog's water or throwing their food around or many other things, not all of them dog related, but yeah, he's Wando is just, he's just somehow kept that toddler aspect and brought it into adulthood on the (laughs) soccer field. And it's, you know, it, it, it's made him the all time leading goal scorer in MLS. So what, what what can you do? And I I feel like it's not like, Go ahead, Ben. Yeah, sure. Uh, I feel like Jaime Moreno also had a similar toddler-esque, troublemaking toddler-esque quality to his play. Yeah, yeah I, he, mean, I mean... He was real any, fast any, for a lot any, of his career. Yeah, but you know, any good goal poacher is going to have this knack for being... Like, someone knows that they are marking the guy, and then they're just going to fade out. I mean, we're going to see it. Um, you know, the women's world cup is about to start. There are plenty of excellent strikers who part of, part of what they do. Like if you watch Canada, you watch Christine Sinclair, 
everyone knows that she is the most dangerous player in the box, and yet she's just going to sort of take a couple steps backward and then all of a sudden move. And I mean, so we're saying, so we're saying that all the game is simple. So we're saying that all toddlers should be world class strikers. No, Uh, but all world class strikers should be toddlers. Okay. Um, let, let, let's move on a little bit. Positive takeaway from, from both of these games. Lucho was good. We got good Luciano Acosta in both of these games. He scored in both of these games. Um, and, and he was locked in and he was energetic and he was engaged and this is good, Jason. Yeah, it's a big step up, um, from, you know, uh, Lately, his form has been sort of, you know, he's he's trying, but it's not quite working, and there's not much of a uh, push beyond. Well, this isn't working for me tonight. Um, and you know, he came into this game with, um, or these two games, I should say, um, his last three appearances, he'd had one shot attempt uh, in total in those three games, um, and then in these two games, not only did he score twice, but he took six shots. He's completing more dribbles. He's um, his key pass numbers are higher. Um, all of that stuff is a good sign. And his movement um, was better. Um, the the off the ball stuff was very good um, against uh, Chicago. I want to say, if I'm not mistaken, both of Segura's goals start with uh, Lucho doing something uh, off the ball. Like the first one is him intercepting a pass and playing a back heel. Uh, or maybe it's the second one. That's that. That's that. No, no, it is the first. That one. was the first one. The second um, one he got involved. The in second the one is just horror. Yeah. Um. But yeah. These are all things that um he can influence games without necessarily getting a goal. Like it's good that he got a goal. Um. And you know the, the goal he got against Chicago was him uh sprinting as hard as he could to beat Chicago's fastest field player to the ball. So that's not something we normally think of with Lucho either. Um. I don't know exactly what happened, but it seemed like, you know, there's every excuse in this last stretch of games. I know um, I'm feeling exhausted and I don't have to do any running during the games. Um, so there's plenty of excuse for an attacking player uh, like Lucho to, to be a little jaded and to be a little uh, lethargic by the end of all of this. And it seemed like towards the end, he had like an uptick in, in energy and um, you know, he, it, it was encouraged. It's, it's been, you know, a little overdue. Um, but now all of a sudden we're talking about um, five goals after 17 games. Um, it's not in line with last year's uh, incredible form, but it's much closer to what we would expect. I mean, um, five goals in 17 games puts them on track to get 10 goals again. It's just, it's the assist numbers that are behind. Um, but it's still, these last two games have been much more of, the norm and what, and what we need to see going forward because uh, the attack doesn't function well without him being that busy. And, you know, he, it can't just be him scoring the goal or him playing the final pass. It's gotta be the, you know, winning the loose ball and playing the back heel to Rodriguez that became the break that became Segura's first goal. That's the kind of stuff we need to see more often. So it, um, when we're seeing him involved in goal scoring plays, that's that's a, a big plus. That means it's not just about oh Lucho scored. It's also 
Lucho got involved and the team created a goal. And, you know, the first Segura goal was a pretty good one. Yeah, I think with Lucho, one of the things is the more involved he is, the more touches he has, the better he is, the more locked in he is. Even if it's just little one-touch exchanges in the middle third, the more he gets on the ball here and there, kind of the more comfortable he feels, the more engaged he is. He's not not all number 10s are high usage players. Some of them just want to get those final touches on the ball and otherwise they can disappear. They don't need to be involved. I think Lucho needs to be involved. He he needs to be a high usage player. I, I think during the run in last year when he was just playing out of his mind and got onto the best 11, he was, I think, having as many touches as anyone else on the team in a lot of these games. And that's when he's at his best because he can, I, I, I don't know what about it, if it's psychological or if it's just he's feeling it more when he's doing that or, or what, but he, the more touches he has, the more dangerous he gets, which is not always true for number 10s. So keep him involved, keep getting him touches, let him run around and do whatever. Um, uh, but, let him swap but, with TT to find the ball, just whatever he has to do. But before we go away from Lutra, I will note that uh, he was given the post game guitar uh, after the San Jose game. And, um, we didn't, we didn't get a chance to speak with him. He was trying to get ready for his, um, he was doing a birthday party event, uh, over at mission, uh, which I have not been to, but I've been past. Um, it's big, it's nice, but, uh, he was, he was kind of, you know, shower up and, and get himself over there because it's his event. So he kind of had to get over there. Um, but they gave him the guitar and so he was sort of wandering around trying to say, you know, goodbye and, and whatnot to everyone for the evening um, and make his way out the door. But it was kind of a funny one because they tracked him down like you won the guitar. He was like, oh, uh, oh, cool. So he's like carrying a guitar around while he's like, <laughs> you know, uh, an artistically having, painted guitar. Yeah. Um, and then hustling out the door. I, I kind of regret that uh, you're not supposed to take any photos in the locker room, but um, there was a chance where we could have asked him to take a photo with the guitar, but you know, no one had the foresight to think of it until after we were standing there waiting for Wayne Rooney. And then it was like, Oh, we should have, uh, we missed our chance. Um, but, uh, that was, that was nice to see. He seemed to be, um, there've been a couple games afterwards where he has seemed like the weight of the world is kind of on his shoulders a little bit. And, you know, the, the frustration that things aren't going well. And after this, he seemed, you know, he seemed pretty cheerful. He seemed like in a, a really good mood. So um, read read between those tea leaves, if you will. Um, I don't know if it means anything more, but uh, it seemed pretty positive, at least for the short term. Another positive from this one, Chris Aduiachim came back onto the field and was really good um, for, for anyone who hasn't been who's been living under a rock, I guess. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably know all about uh, COA's battle against Hodgkin's lymphoma, coming back from that, uh, getting on the field with Loudon, and now getting a start for DC United. And not just a start, Ben, looking really good at left back. Yeah, he played very impressively. Uh, His defense was really solid, and at least up until when he was taken off, I thought he was the better of the two uh, uh, attacking fullbacks. Uh, Hara has the better resume and the better overall play this year. That That's undeniable. But uh, for his first MLS game in a year plus, um, he played really well. And he's 
putting himself into at least the conversation to play a lot more minutes until Joseph Mora comes back. And Joseph Mora, when he comes back, is going to need time to reacclimate, time to get back into it. Uh, so it's he he proved that he belongs to be in that uh, in that conversation, and it's not. It's not just uh, Pedroso is automatically the starter. It's uh, it's a real competition right now. Yeah, and he's a natural right back. So if if Hara lets his game fall off, and and Hara had himself a game against San Jose, uh, I thought um, at least a second half against San Jose. But uh, like most of United, yeah, everyone did. But if his play drops off or if he just needs rotation, then you have Chris Adui Acham now on that corner, certainly, and, and even on the left now. So it's it's good. Fullback depth is good. Uh, player overcoming the odds and not just coming back, but coming back stronger than ever is awesome. And I, I love that that he's out there doing that. Less positive notes from this week. Uh, Russell Knauss came out against San Jose with a, a rolled ankle. that. I think certainly threw a, a curveball into the plans for, mm-hmm. for Ben Olsen in the first half. Uh, he, he was forced to put Paul Ariola inside and Paul Ariola shouldn't play inside unless no, it's an emergency. And this was an emergency, I guess. Uh, so he was in there and yeah. Anyway, I mean, it, there really wasn't come any, back. There, there really wasn't anyone else available. We know that Segura can't do that job. Um, yeah. I mean, I tried it last year. It didn't work. Wasn't, wasn't McCann on the bench. Yeah, but do you really want McCann out there uh, in in that game? I don't know. <laughs> Ariola loses, not loses, but the team loses so much when Ariola is put in the middle. Ariola does a good job in the middle, but the team loses so much when he's in the middle. That's that's my th- I, that's my. I mean, he was already playing my, wing back, so he he wasn't. Yeah, that's that's in maybe, the attacking third as much. Yeah, and that maybe that's an interesting thing that if if the game had played out that way that would have had to have been a question um yeah as it was it became more about um a few other things but um you know as as i wrote as we've talked about a bunch of times now uh this team when Ariola is part of the attacking midfield group is a far better team than when he's not um and i understand that Segura having the two goals kind of influences that it's hard to tell a guy that um has been through a lot to try and get himself going attack wise that once he finally did like okay good job Uli you're on the bench now or you're playing as a wing back now um that might have been a difficult one but on the other hand I do kind of think Ariola should have been up with the uh the the front three to start against San Jose I don't know that it necessarily would have changed all that much but um I did have my qualms with with that uh, as a starting point. Um, yeah, go ahead. I think Adam, you're. Yeah, I was gonna say the other, um, the other less positive note, the other negative note was uh, watching Steve Birnbaum bleed on the field from a massive <laughs> cut on his head, and then uh, forced to leave. Obviously, he um, he did pass concussion protocol and. You know, will probably be cleared to play in United's next game, which is in another week, midweek against the Union in the U.S. Open Cup, and then certainly he will once. not play in that game. I don't know. There's not a game for a while. You don't have to rotate a lot for that game, so I wouldn't su- be surprised to see a bunch of starters in that game. Honestly, we'll talk about that more next week. But um, 
he doesn't have to miss it because he's dealing with concussion or post-concussion syndrome. So that part is good, but that was a lot of blood, Ben. Yeah. Uh, I, I was watching on uh, Flow Sports. So I got the, the, the stream zoom ins. Let's not talk about it. We don't have time. I, I had to pay, <laughs> I had to buy a new streaming device just to make it work. And oh God, I'm sorry. Yeah. It, it was a lot of things. It wasn't the same setup that I had previously had. So still no, no, no points for you, Glenn Coco. Um, it was a lot of blood. I got, like, I got the unfortunate zoom in. It was the most blood I've seen on TV. I told people just don't go back and rewatch it. Just don't do it. And so if you are thinking about it, just don't do it. Like <laughs> I'm glad he's fine. Uh, it seems like he just had a head injury and uh, like a vascular head injury and not a concussion. They can be different and they often are, but it was just a lot of blood. So please don't go back and watch it. I think that last point uh, is, is worth repeating. Uh, Steve Birnbaum has had a lot of head injuries over, over his career. He's had a lot of cuts and, and various things that, made him bleed from his head. He's had to wear a rugby style helmet on the, on the field for a lot of games. Almost all of them, not all of them, but almost all of them have been surface level injuries to like Ben said, vascular injuries. They haven't been brain injuries and not all head injuries are brain injuries. Um, and so they, they haven't all been concussions. He's had a couple of concussions in his career. And obviously it's something he should he, he is aware of, I'm sure. I think he's the last person you have to tell that he has uh, had a couple of concussions, but his heading form is so good. And his, his neck is so strong. Anytime you see him go into a header, his head isn't recoiling. And it's when your head recoils that you are much more likely to get a concussion. It's that, that change of direction. And when he powers through a header, he powers through it. He, his momentum and his forward motion continue. And that's proper form. And the reason it's proper form is because it prevents you from getting a concussion. And in this one, he hit uh, the other player. He won the ball. It's worth noting, did Birnbaum. And he went through the other player with such force that it was basically an explosive vascular injury he was bleeding all over the place on the field and like ben said it was an uncomfortable amount of blood and and but just he to, passed concussion co- protocol after the game he and just to follow up on that a little bit before jason comes in with his viewpoints i i do think maybe at some point they're gonna have to change something because like even if it's not concussions it's an uncomfortable, it's too much blood. So maybe someday they'll have to change something about headers in the pro game. Just, I mean, if, if they do soft style rugby helmets for every player, I I think there's an argument to be made that that should be something that happens in the future. Uh, But yeah, that could be one thing. I, I, this is also still a pretty rare occurrence that there's that much blood on the field, but uh, concussions are not as rare an occurrence as they used to be. So sure, 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 sure. I, I'm just, I'm just saying, I, I don't know what the solution might be, but we're getting towards a point where maybe something has to happen. Jason, how did those stitches look in the locker room? Uh, I mean, you, you, they were visible. Um, they, the cut extended out on beyond his, um, 
hair and, and onto his forehead uh, by maybe half an inch or so. Um, Birnbaum's hair is short enough that they didn't really have to shave his hair to get the stitches in. Um, but he was saying after the game that um, the head injury or the, the bleeding head gash that he had in Houston um, from the collision with Albert Elise, who didn't pass the or was allowed back on by the dynamo and then took a seat. So he probably just didn't get the concussion protocol applied to him is what actually happened with Elise. Yeah. Um, Which is a problem, by the way. Yeah, that's not good. Um, Whereas, you know, I feel like at this point with Birnbaum, the fact that it's happened so often um, and the team has, has removed him from games when they felt like there's a problem like they did in this one. um, I feel like he probably did have, as some sort of test uh, done on the field. Um, he said that he had eight staples applied uh, on the, from on an on-field medicine um, perspective. And then after the game, they removed the staples and put in stitches in Houston. Oh, man. Um, and then this one was on the other side. Uh, and o- Olson said he thought it was 15 plus Burnbaum said he didn't count, but he thought that someone had said 13. Um, but he, he wasn't paying too much attention because it was just an unpleasant thing to be dealing with. Um, yeah, it was, it was rough. Um, the area around it was pretty swollen. It looked more like, a um, something you'd see in boxing rather than in soccer, but, he seemed, he was like, yeah, I, I'm lucid. My field division is fine. I, I, I remember everything. I know all the stuff that happened to me. Um, he was explaining how um, he didn't actually see the goal because he was in a room that doesn't have a TV in the locker room getting stitched up. So when the crowd started roaring, um, there were two people, and I guess there was the doctor and somebody else, and they had to ask the other person to jump around the wall real quick and look at the monitor and tell him what had happened because he hears cheering, but that's it. And he's like, well, do we score? Um, and they weren't done stitching him up until like the, apparently until like the 80th minute uh, is when oh, they were wow. finally done. Yeah. Um, so he said he caught the last 10 minutes or so of the game. Um, but you know, for a guy with that many things going on on his head, he seemed in pretty good spirits, um, which he's is multitasking. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know how he's coming through uh, these these collisions and not having uh, more than just a cut because um, I, I mean Ben Olson said after the game that he thinks Burnbaum is made of something else because they gave him the concussion protocol and he passed and he was still you know he's talking to us he was like yeah the from that side I feel fine like I know what a concussion feels like and I don't have that um, so that's good uh, I just have you know a pretty nasty looking cut. Um, but you know, it'll, it'll get better. Um, was his attitude was just like, yeah, you know, this will heal. Um, <laughs> there are stories about Brian McBride, one of the all time great goal scorers with his head in American history, uh, going to a, a camp or, or a team that, that Birnbaum played on as a kid and giving them a heading clinic. Mm-hmm. Clearly Brian McBride needs to be teaching people how to head the ball <laughs> or only DC United. I don't want anyone getting concussions and no, so yeah, that's fair. So I, I will I say, so giving giving the giving the baseline safety to everyone, and then the advanced class to only DC United. Sure, we can go with that. Yeah, I, I will say in case anyone didn't see 
much of a replay or anything. If you were squeamish and wanted to look away, um, the challenge from Jungwirth, it was a clean challenge. They both, it was a clash yeah. of heads. It wasn't like an elbow or anything like that. Um, it was like the burn bomb one in, in Houston where burn bomb was definitely committing a foul, but there was no ill intent. There was, he was trying to play the ball and he just got beat to it. And I think that's exactly what happened, but burn bomb won the ball in this play. Yeah. It's, it's just, unfortunately in a sport where you might put your head towards the ball and someone else might do the same thing. Um, if you hit your head against someone else's head, something's going to happen because heads aren't designed for that. I wish we had a better note to go out on on this segment, uh, but we don't. So please stick around. We'll, we'll come in on a better note, probably, in the second segment. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or or do something else oh, nefarious in a... I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster. I'm going to editorialize for a little bit because I saw on DC United's Facebook page last week um, in the comments, specifically on a post announcing some of the pride merchandise that, that the team has made available because it's June, it's pride month nationwide. And there were some comments predictably about why do we need gay pride? Why do we need LGBT pride? Why is there no straight pride? And, um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna yell at anybody. I'm not gonna say anybody's bad because I used to think the same thing, uh, growing up in, in Southern Indiana, not knowing very many people of color, certainly not knowing very many openly gay people, knowing zero trans people at the time. I thought similarly to some of those responses on Facebook and I no longer do. And I want to try to explain why a little bit. And, and it, it comes down to recognizing one's privilege because I never had to worry about being who I was openly. I never had to worry about what I looked like being a trigger for, for someone else to commit violence against me or, or to discriminate against me. 
And that's not the case for a very large number of people in the world and in this country. And I was reminded of it when Lucho scored against San Jose. He ran over to his family and it was awesome and adorable. And you you can see how much love he has for his family. There was a game where he missed, uh, I think DC United's last win at Audi Field. Lucho missed the traditional the now traditional celebration with the the fans where the, the players all run in a line and raise their arms. He missed it because he ran to get his kid to try to get his kid into the line with the other players. And he was just late, but he loves his family so much. And after he scored against San Jose, he went over and celebrated with them and he kissed his wife and it was very cute. And it occurred to me with these, these comments from Facebook in my mind that if a gay player had done the same thing with his partner, with his husband, there would have been a response. It would have been commented on in a way that Lucho kissing his wife at the edge of the field just isn't because one of them is accepted by literally everyone in this country. And one of them is not accepted by everyone. It's accepted by some and not by others. And that is why pride is important. That is why representation is important. That is why this conversation is important. And I, I wanted to put it out there that there, there is a difference in treatment and a difference in situations. And we should recognize that. And if you are in the in-group, if you are in a privileged position where you've never had to ask yourself, should I go outside today because someone might commit violence against me? You should stop and think and and ask questions and and look online and try to get another perspective because you have been very lucky and I have been very lucky and I've been even luckier that I've had occasion to have my horizons broadened in this way. And I, I hope that if you are annoyed hearing these words, that you think about why that is and that you have an open mind and just try to understand where I'm coming from and where people who are gay, lesbian, trans, bisexual, asexual, queer, uh, gender nonconforming, etc., where they are coming from as well. And try just try to understand. And and that's the end of my editorializing on this. I don't know if you guys want to chime in. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you said it. Yeah. Thank you for giving me that platform. Uh, now we're going to open the Twitter box. We uh, have quite a few questions to get to tonight. Um, Jason, I'm going to give credit for the um, very goat heavy call for Twitter box questions that went out on Twitter today. Uh, and, and the very first question uh unfortunately or not uh, runs with that theme it, it's from Chris Gibson at Chris Gibson VA on Twitter, who asks us at filibuster DCU, you meet a magical goat. Damn it. Okay. That grants you the ability to bring a single past DC United player forward in time to play on the current team for the remainder of this season. Who do you choose? Uh, the first player that came to mind for me was, was Jaime Moreno retired as the all-time leading scorer in his younger days. He was fast and creative and clever 
And um, whether he would start on this team, I don't know. I don't. It's hard to judge across eras. I think it's entirely possible that he would force his way onto the field, whether in a two forward setup with Wayne Rooney or or pushed outside. But at least having another player who can play forward and older Jaime could hold the ball up really well too, and was really good playing with a few different number tens or a couple different number tens anyway in in Echeverry and and Christian Gomez. He, he makes a lot of sense to me, and he was the first name that came to my mind. I think uh, if you didn't want to alter the formation very much and you wanted to plug someone in to the group, um, assuming you wanted a starter, um, I, I, I think uh, there would be a good argument for the um, the 90s version, the pre-ankle injury version of Ben Olsen. Um, in that you'd have someone similar to Paul Ariola, um, adding a, a few more options, uh, off the ball, uh, the, the work rate, he was pretty fast back in the day as well, which is something that we've talked about a lot with this, with this lineup. Um, but you know, there's also, there's always room for someone like Marco Echeverry. I, you'd find a way to just be like, look, we got to change it. And I think it would be the same thing for, Moreno, it's like, look, with a guy this good, you've got to find a way to get him on the field yeah. with the other guys. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with Eddie Pope. I think we need another defender on this team, and I think you can't go wrong with Eddie Pope. And, of course, scoring the, the winning goal in MLS Cup 1996. Yeah, that's what I realized. If you want to start it on this team, getting Eddie Pope or Ryan Nelson might be the the way to go mm. to, to really improve the first 11 uh, next question. Thank you for turning off. Right. When I looked at you po- phone comes from uh, Jimmy R frequent contributor to Twitter boxes at DCU underscore Gooner. He had himself a rough weekend. Uh, what <laughs> body part does Donovan pines need and can I donate it? I'm certain I need it less than he does. That's, that's the spirit. I mean, we'll just harvest all of your body parts and dole them out to Donovan pines as he needs them. Yeah. Jimmy R is now officially lab meat. Yeah. Um, I think there's a there's a, a potential downside here, which is that um, those of us who are not playing professional soccer maybe don't have particularly useful body parts to give. Our, our yeah. muscles and ligaments are not designed for what they're is trash happen. is what you're saying. Um, <laughs> we we mere mortals are have trash parts, and professional athletes are highly tuned uh, demigods. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah. we're all in the same boat on that one. Yeah. Also, Jimmy and Kate, unless you're obscenely tall, and I can't tell how tall you are from your Twitter picture. You look like a normal human being, though. Uh, your parts don't fit Donovan Pines. <laughs> He's just a different size than you. Significantly decent size. Uh, Definitely a different size than Adam, who's very short. <laughs> what do you? I'm taller than either of you. It's just, I'm just staying with my thing that somehow I think Adam is short. I know he's not, but I think he is. Next, a uh, couple questions come from uh, Paris Rolifus on Twitter, who who asks us whether LAFC will clinch the shield by Labor Day. And, and my first response is they haven't yet. I mean, yeah, it's it's distinctly... They're they're doing something special. Uh, it's yeah, distinctly I, possible that 
we could be getting into that. I mean, we also have to remember the schedule has been compressed. So um, clinching by Labor Day is something that is more feasible than it used to. It used to be you still had like 12 to 13 games left to play at that point. Um, yeah, with the now, playoffs running in October instead of yeah. in November, Labor Day is only a month before the end of the regular season. They, That's they, they nine, will clinch it well before Labor Day, I would expect. They, they're nine points ahead of the Galaxy and the Union um, right now. <laughs> they are plus 26 in, uh, goal difference in a league where Philly is the only other team with more than uh, plus nine. They're, they're the only other team in double digits. They're on plus 10. And that's because they got to have a 6-1 against the Revs before Friedel left town. Um, so so they had a bonus and they just barely got over the line. Um, and yet the LAFC is on plus 26, so 2.31 points per game. Yeah, I, I think it's distinctly possible that uh, – I'll be at the beach uh, for Labor Day weekend and I'll check. I'll probably wake up the next morning and after some LAFC game and be like, oh, they did clinch because they beat, you know, uh, you know, Sporting Kansas City 3-1 or something like that. It's just there. Bob Bradley has been making a lot of very, uh, very wild statements, but they're all seem to be completely backed up by what's happening. Uh, it would be more arrogant if he weren't just stating uh, facts that they're playing better <laughs> soccer than everyone else. Yeah, you mean they, Bob they Bradley, might be the the so far uh, best USMNT coach in the past decade. That guy. I mean, that 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 bar hasn't been high to clear, uh, particularly difficult to clear. Um, it's still true. It is. We still didn't true. Think, after the uh, twenty ten world in, in twenty eleven, we didn't think that would be true. Now, but it, it still is. <laughs> and he's a better coach now than he was then. I think very it's, true. It's very easy to say. Um, LAFC are doing something special this year, like Jason said. Um, they they might be the biggest runaway supporter shield winners in league history, unless something goes really really wrong for them between now and say Labor Day. Um, they, they're gonna run away and hide with this thing. Uh, Parasol Office's other question, what's the bigger problem for DC United? The overall lack of death, depth or Zoltan Stieber's descent into not being a barely serviceable MLS player. So he's not even a barely serviceable MLS player. Or are they the same problem? He asks. I mean, they're, they're the same problem because lap, the lack of depth, especially on the wings, is a big part of it. I mean, it's also center back depth and defensive depth, but after the starters on the attack, it's you get into a lot of different players who are different. They bring different things and it it's changes the way that DC United plays. And so it's not a swap one in, swap one out kind of situation right now on DC United's attack. It's if you swap somebody in, like Ulysses Segura is a good player, but he is a very different player from Paul Ariola or TT Rodriguez. So Right now, they don't yeah. have anyone for one swaps, and that combined with the fact that Zoltan Stieber hasn't been the same player since Wayne Rooney got here just doubles up on that fact. He can't even be a game changer off the bench, bringing something different because he's bringing something different that is also bad. Yeah, I think it's it's having so many injuries in a couple of different spots that Paul Ariola can play <laughs> that that makes it really tough so we have a lot of injuries at fullback and 
it's not just injuries. It's also youth national team call-ups in the case of Chris Durkin. And uh, a lack of depth. They, they, did not, and they did not sign enough fullbacks this year. I think they... Chris Duyachim got back. Akeem Ward got hurt. Uh, they they had, I mean, bringing Pedroso in better late than never. But I I think you don't count on having what three different fullbacks go down injured in the first half of the season, like after the first game and before the end of the first half of the season. Three different fullbacks went down injured. That's a lot. They've been they've been odd injuries too. Um. Yeah, I I think the the point of just an overall lack of depth, I think the team has suffered from the fact that um, they're sort of going with the roster building strategy that we see a lot in MLS. This isn't just um, this isn't just Dave Casper doing this here only. Um, we see a lot of teams leave uh, a lot of roster spots open, you know, three, four, five spots open, and then come summer you see those roster spots get filled up. Um, and I will note that after the game, uh, I think I tweeted it from the site account that um, Ben Olson said in two different answers mentioned that there would be people coming in. Um, I mean, every window someone comes in, so it's kind of an obvious thing, but it's also the first time anyone from the team has outright said that players will be added. Um, Wayne Rooney, I think it, this was, I think the second game, this season where he mentioned specifically thinking that the team needed, needed to have more depth and needs to get more depth in the, this next window. So um, when Rooney says something like that, it's an obvious, you know, it puts pressure on uh, Casper to get that job done because um, when Rooney says some things at this club, it, it has more weight than most uh, is the safest way to put it. Um, so yeah. Uh, they probably should have had at least one more player in the attack. Even if we're talking about a promising rookie with some speed, something like that. Um, they should have had probably one more utility player. Um, the fact that, you know, Chris McCann kind of fell in their lap. So you wonder if they were even going to address that situ- that sp- situation, that role within the team. Um, but yeah, that, I think you know, looking back we're we're kind of seeing the worst case scenario for um, what happens if you roll the dice on the small roster strategy that we see happen in MLS. Um, fortunately, we're not looking at this and saying, wow, the lack of depth uh, has really thrown DC's uh, chances of a postseason spot in jeopardy. Um, this team, despite all of our disappointment is still sitting in second place in the East. Um, so things aren't, as bad as they seem, but they do definitely need to um, make a move. And I think, I think the comparison as to whether it's just depth or Stieber's um, uh, fall in form, I think that's kind of, they're all kind of in the same bucket for me. Well, and it, it just makes me wonder back. uh, TC Rodriguez from all accounts was already going to be signed. So it makes me just think, what if Villa Sarsfield and Dave Casper had been able to come to an agreement on Yamil Assad and how much different this team would be with Assad on this team? And and remember, it seemed like they had come to an agreement right, exactly. and then things changed because, you know. And from all accounts from Villa Sarsfield's side, not from DC United's side. Right. 
Right. You know, well, the, I think DC was happy with the terms that were already in place and they said, okay, so about those terms we had in place, um, we, you know, we can do it. We have to do it this way because of our league, but we, we can still honor the terms that you want. And, um, and Sarsfield was like, nope. Yeah, we, we, we have we, different demands. Um, that is a change. Therefore, we're allowed to change and we are going to ask for all the money. And he's right. sadly been on the bench most of the, the yeah, season so yeah, he's far. He's barely even played. Um, yeah, so, and he's out of, is he out of contract now? Not I yet. I think he has one more year. Okay. I think it's the end of this year. Um, end of this okay. year. Okay. I, thought, I thought it was mid-year, but either way, um, that, that does bring us to our, our next question from John Lee at JT Lee 3 Realistic signings for when the window opens, which I think is January 9th this year. January, uh, I hope not. Yeah, and then he says both newbies and loanies who, who are converted, and you don't have to wait um, necessarily to convert a loanie because you already have them on um, on, on your roster, so you can wait, wait. you can make a loney permanent basically any time. I think. So wait, are but, we talking about summer signings or after the season signings? Uh, I mean the summer signings is what I would. Okay, because you said because you said January. About. You said January. So I oh, sorry, mean, July 9th, not January. Okay. 9th. I apologize. Uh, July 9th, I think, is when the summer yes. window opens. It's There's about July, a month. July ninth. It runs from July 9th to August seventh. Okay, so just under a month. Yeah. Uh not to make it confusing. And it also it runs on central time because reasons. Well, because uh, soccer but, house. Yeah. Yeah. Soccer house is in Chicago. Okay. That, I think that falls under reasons. Yamil Assad, obviously I think is a, a realistic target, both for expectations and for possibilities. Um, I, I think he's an, almost expected as a target this summer, uh, whether he actually comes through. And I, I certainly hope he does because he's some people like to fault his defensive chops because he's not great in, in, in a low block defending. But when it comes to pressing and front foot defending, Yamil Assad is elite in MLS. He can, he can shape the game in a way that, that not a lot of people can from a left wing position when he's pressing because he can cut the field, not in half, but he can actually force a player to play the ball exactly where he wants to. And it's a superpower and it's amazing. And he's very good at it. And he also, you know, can play a little bit with the ball too. So I would be very happy with Yamil Assad. I don't really know who all's available. I haven't given much thought to it because it's been busy, man, but Yamil Assad is who I've been focused on anyway. Uh, for me, I want uh, – uh, we heard today – well, not heard. It was announced today that uh, Omar Gonzalez was signed by uh, the USMNT North, I mean Toronto FC. Um, and I'm sure he's going to be a good player for them. I mean he's playing in uh, Liga MX right now. Uh, so I think he's going to be a good for, player for them. He's going to be a TAM player. And so that's where I'm going. I I don't think Omar Gonzalez's specific skills would be – a great fit with DC United right now. I think, think they have that already on the team, but DC United needs a TAM level center back to ride the rest of the season to, to take this team to the next level and hopefully solidify the defense, stop, prevent these little brain farts from happening. And so that's where I would put my money is into a, Tam level center back. 
Yeah, I'm going to go a different way because I feel like um, with Donovan Pines coming in, that that's not a worry of mine as much. Um, I just want the numbers, like to the extent that I agree with Ben. It's it's less because I want a a, a new starter. It's because if Donovan Pines gets hurt or or doesn't live up to his obvious stratospheric yeah, I, potential you you have another option there and it soccer so often is a numbers game that would be why i would want someone right, else and, there and wayne rooney has this year and maybe one more at at this level and so like pines is great but i want somebody who can do it right now and maybe pines can but i don't know see i'm i'm still not i'm i'm not as convinced because okay. I That's mean, as, at a certain point, we're adding center. It's like, well, let's sign 900 center backs so that we always have depth. Like, there are ways this season could go wrong no matter what you do because you can't have limitless depth. And I think, um, I think well, at not a certain, with that attitude, you can't. Well, it just the, the it's the the world we live in. Um, uh, for me, uh, I'm I'm concerned with the attacking speed, the the lack of variety in the attack. Um, the fact that when Ariola is moved off the front line, everything slows down immediately. Um, or that we could never sub Rooney ever. Right. Um, you know, Ameriquois has done a good job for what he's supposed to do, but I would like to have attacking speed. I, I think, um, in an ideal world, United could take Gitchdeber off the, the books without having to carry any of his contract. And then split, basically split his contract in two. So you're talking like two TAM level attackers and maybe one is a forward and the other is a winger of some kind, but one of them needs to be fast. Um, I I still feel like this team hasn't really addressed uh, losing Darren Maddox. I feel like Darren Maddox probably in retrospect might not have necessarily wanted to jump ship um, given that he ended up in Cincinnati and that that's going real bad. And also not playing. Yeah, right. Um, the, yeah, I think his leaving probably worked out badly for both parties. Yeah, everyone lost out on that one because yeah. um, Cincinnati's now in last, and they're still under the impression that Fernando Adi is a better option in 2019 than Maddox, which I don't know about that one. Uh, seems like a stretch. 2016. I know, right. I mean, I know Maddox has also had some bad luck in front of goal, but I think some of that is because he's playing for Cincinnati, his uh, confidence has fallen off. It's sort of a vicious circle. Um, but but for me, the first two things I would want to do is we need one more high-level potential starter uh, wide player, someone that's competing with Ariola and Rodriguez for those uh, starting jobs, um, and then a speedy option up top so that you know, if, if Rooney's going to stay in and drop into the midfield, then we're stretching teams out because that's handy. That worked last year. We saw it with Maddox when he would come into games. Um, it changed things when United needed to push for a goal. Um, and he Rooney is going to need a rest at some point. Um, you know, he came through that uh, collision uh, a few games ago um, in, in New England that easily could have put him out for a couple games. Yeah. Um, if that had just hit him a little bit differently, if he had ended up with um, some sort of injury like Joseph Mora, um, you know, the, the role of, that was a roll of the dice. That wasn't a, um, Oh, well, Rooney's made of different stuff than Mora. No, he's made of, you know, bones and, and uh, ligaments and such. Um, 
it could have easily gone the other way. And we could have ended up playing these last two games with Ameriqua and then the backup forward would have been Segura again. So, you know, I think they need a different sort of player though, than they've got, you know, that's part of the problem with Stieber is that um, he's kind of the third guy trying to also be a playmaker on a team that doesn't need a third guy trying to be a playmaker. They need the third guy to help uh, let Rooney and Acosta do the playmaking. Um, so that, that's what I would be looking for is guys that are good off the ball who bring some more speed. Um, if you could clone Paul Ariola, I would probably take, uh, that clone version. Uh, I might have some questions about your cloning, but, um, at the same time, I'm probably more concerned with, uh, in the short term, at least winning soccer games over the ethics of cloning another human being. Also, cloning doesn't mean creating another adult version the same age. It usually means growing. Never mind. Never mind. We're not going to. That's a rabbit hole we're not going into. Speaking of rabbit holes. Just accept the plot of this this scenario. We're talking about sci-fi cloning, not actual uh, actual scientific Earth cloning. In a similar vein and a tweet I can't believe I'm actually reading. Uh, DC Josh at Josh Redshaw asks us at filibuster dcu why can't the amt adam just accept the goats and move on why can't i do that because it's not a freaking goat podcast should we podcast is drinking podcast this question is for all of us so i think ben and i both get to come up with reasons why you can't get over it Uh, i hate democracy (laughs) it's because you're from indiana you hate mountains so mountain goats you hate goats I like mountains. No, you don't. I really do. No, you don't. I, I think deep down the problem is that you wish you had a yard that was adequate for <laughs> having a goat. Um, and since you you don't, you've said in the past that you don't think your yard is adequate for a goat. Oh, um, it is no so grass. I've, I'm I've taking been, you. I'm taking you at your word for it. Um, we've both been to Adam's yard. It is not significant. Not sufficient it could for be. Goats. It could be changed up. And, and grass could be added pretty easily. Um, it, and by that, I mean pretty easily in that Adam would be doing everything. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think if there's a will, there's a way. But Adam obviously disagrees. And I think his frustration with his uh, lack of, in his eyes, appropriate goat space is the real problem here. Again, I think it's plenty of room for a goat. Also, maybe just Adam hates goat cheese and then just doesn't want goat products at all. I actually like goat cheese. I just don't want goats on my podcast. You don't. I haven't seen Adam ever (laughs) eating goat cheese. Just just putting that out there. There's literally goat cheese crumbles in my fridge right now. I haven't seen them. Are you in my fridge right now? Could be. I hope not. There's not a lot of air in there. It's cold in here. Ben's going to suffocate. I'm going to get investigated. This is why I don't like goats. <laughs> Aaron Bobic at Aaron Bobic asks us at filibuster DCU. When did our team forget how to clear the ball out of the box? That, and I, I think it's, it's a fair point to, or a fair observation to make that, that DC United is a little bit, at least at the margins, less likely to just boot the ball upfield now when they're under pressure in the back. And I think it's a deliberate decision. I don't think it's forgetting. I think they want to keep the ball more than they used to. They're not always 
good at it, but it, it's definitely um, a change from the old days of Brandon McDonald just sending the ball upfield or or Bobby, Bobby Boswell as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Though though in his last season they they changed it up a little bit too, and he changed the way he played to his credit. Uh, they they want to hang on to the ball more, and if they're going to boot it upfield, they most of the time want to make a long pass to a player, not just a clearance. Um, DC United still does have a lot of clearances, I think, compared to many teams in the league, but it is less of a discrepancy than it was during some other past years. Anything to add to that? Or should I move on to the next one? We'll move on. All right. Damien Cash at Old Timer with a Y in there uh, asks us what is going on with DC United only being able to generate offense when behind is their scoreless game plan or that their zero zero game plan too conservative or just a matter of game states. I mean, we talked about this in the first segment. I mean, they, so it's, it's funny because they've come out of the gates in the last couple games. Pretty okay. They've had scoring chances in the first 10 minutes and then, then they go away. Yeah. And I think it's it's a fair question. Is it is it game plan? Is it in-game adjustments? Is it mentality? I, I don't know the answer. I mean, it's Dame- just two games. It's, yeah, I don't want to draw any big yeah, conclusions. Um, two games at the end of a long series of um, way too many games packed into too small of a time. Um that is also me complaining about how much uh, coverage we've had to do, which has been a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I would like, you know, the last few games have been a little reactive. Um, I guess it's now four um, where it really took, um, you know, kind of a bad first half. It's been a little while since they played a good first half. So it, maybe there is something more to it um, that I haven't really thought too much about, but um, it, some of it is, you know, you come out and the other team has a good plan in place to initially stop um, Rooney and Acosta. Some of it has been Acosta has been sort of muted. Um, and, and it's not that there's one good way to do it. And it, you know, the idea that I, I every once in a while I see it bounced around that, um, People are just copying the Columbus game plan from the playoffs. That is not true. That's not what's happening. Um, it, you know, teams are coming up with different ways to go about their business against DC, and maybe DC has been a little flat. Maybe it's you know something it needs to change in terms of motivating guys pregame. Um, I know previous last year there was a lot of talk about how um, the team didn't need very much motivation, um, and maybe not you know because they had the looming threat you know they spent half the season where any slip up could potentially ruin it all um and maybe not having that looming threat over them has uh made it you know it's 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 easy to do to work hard and, and be at your highest level of motivation when you're under real threat when you're under real pressure um it's different when it's not necessarily going to ruin everything um and maybe that's part of it too um but it, it's some mix of mental and tactical um, that I assume in this break there, that will be part of what's being considered from the coaching staff, because surely they're aware of it. If we're talking about it, then then they probably also know that this is a problem. 
Uh, last question from from Damien. And I'm sorry if we didn't get to your your question. I was kind of scrolling up from the beginning of the timeline for the most part. Uh, Damien has a follow up asking uh, how and when did Jason become a zucchini? Allegedly. No, not allegedly. The internet voted and by a three to one margin. Black I and mean, Red United readers on Twitter voted you a zucchini. We, we live Jason in a world a where a lot of elections have gone wrong in recent times. Um, a hey. lot of bad voting has been going on. Uh, a lot of people <laughs> making mistakes at the polls. And uh, this, I, I, this maybe not overwhelming. Maybe not the high stakes of some of the other mistakes that we've had. But, uh, you know, um, if if I were a zucchini... I would probably not have been able to go and be in the press box. Uh, also, if I were a vegetable, I don't think I'd be a zucchini. Here's the thing, though. You're protesting this a lot, which tells me maybe we're onto something here. Maybe you're trying to hide something. I think I, you're a zucchini. Uh, I will offer that I don't think zucchinis are particularly motivated in defending themselves one way or another. Uh, Just what a zucchini would say. Um, when you go to the grocery store and you look at this, the selection of zucchini, they don't tend to do very much on their own. You have to do all the work for them. Just something to think it. about. Just something to think about. <laughs> see, see, that's the thing. When when someone is is obviously trolling and just trying to sow doubt, they 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 just raise questions. They're just asking questions, just giving you something to think about, just playing devil's advocate. I don't buy it, Jason. You're a zucchini. Thank you all for listening to whatever the hell this was. Find us at blackandredunited.com, uh, patreon.com slash filibuster if you feel like supporting us financially. Zucchinis obviously have have some financial demands, and we want to keep ours happy. Find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu for Twitter or for the podcast at blackandredu for the website. We all have our personal accounts that are pretty easy to find. They're, in fact, in the bio of the podcast. Uh, account so go there and you can find all of us individually send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com find us wherever you get your podcasts and uh, tell a friend about the show that's the best way to get the word out I guess ratings and reviews are also something we're supposed to ask you to do I don't know it's like in the podcaster constitution or something anyway for Jason and Ben I'm Adam we'll talk to you again real soon say goodbye zucchini I think I might be more broccoli if I had to be one.